If you have your Bible today, if you turn with me to Mark, the sixth chapter, beginning in the 38th verse. Now follow along with me. I know it's hard if you have these different uh, versions, but uh, we're starting in 38. But Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve basketfuls of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. And when he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, and the wind was against them. Now about four watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when, he saw, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Our scripture says there were 5,000 men. Now that means there were probably 5,000 women. And that means there were probably 10,000 or more kids. So this is a group. This is a whole bunch of people. This is at least 20,000 that had gathered out there in the plain. And they had listened to Jesus teach and preach all day. Now nothing can be done with crowds until they're organized. And so Jesus takes the time to organize this huge, huge crowd of people so that food can be distributed fairly among the groups and then in the smaller groups and then in the smallest groups so that everybody would have plenty to eat. These people at first were like sheep without a shepherd. The masses of people had no singular voice. The disciples came to Jesus and said, These people were stupid. They walked all the way out here, and they didn't bring anything to eat. And now we're way away from everything. There's nothing around here uh, where we can get food. So uh, we need to just, they say in verse 36, we need to just send them away. But Jesus, in verse 37, who had the compassion to teach these people all day long, He'd been teaching and preaching. He answers the disciples and says, you give them something to eat. Well, the dialogue that uh, follows between Jesus and the disciples is, is very familiar. We've all heard this numerous times. The disciples have only 200 denarii. That's not much money. 
and there wasn't a Publix there anyway. So that didn't really matter. On an appeal to the crowd for food, all they got were five loaves and two fish from a little boy. A little boy said, here, you can, you can have what I've got. Well, using what he had, Jesus takes that food, he looks up toward the heaven, and with a great prayer of thanksgiving that the people will never forget in their lives, he thanks God for the pittance of food that they have. They think this will never be enough. They're looking up there, there's one little basket of food. That's not going to do. And he's giving a blessing, a blessing. That just isn't going to work. How many times had the people in that huge, huge crowd of people, how many times had they prayed over a table that didn't have a lot of food on it? This was not in in our day. This was 2,000-some years ago. It's a long time ago. Uh, They didn't have all the economic advantages, all the salaries, all the pensions. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have that much food all the time. So they were very familiar with this situation. A lot of mouths, not much food. Never again would they sit down at a table without remembering that Jesus gave thanks in a very similar situation. Sometimes we forget today to be thankful for all that we have. We just have so much. So many different kinds of food. If you don't like this kind, get that kind. If you don't like that kind, get this other kind. There's all kinds of choices. There's hundreds of choices. If you go to Publix, they're there. They're waiting on you. They got food everywhere, all kinds of food. No matter who you are, you're going to like some of the stuff that's there. Well, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is kind of summed up in a simple sentence. Look at verse 42. This is the whole thing. This is the heart of it right here. Verse 42 it says, and they all ate and they were all filled. Here's these five loaves, two little fish, 20,000 people or more. It says, they all ate and they were all filled. Now conservative biblical scholars say that Jesus touched this bread, touched these fish, and they multiplied. It was just that simple. They multiplied and multiplied, and they kept multiplying. As they carried the baskets out to the different groups, the food continued to be multiplied. It grew and it grew and it grew, until finally they were able to serve every single person that was there that day. Liberal theologians seeking to bypass, of course, the supernatural would say, well, that little boy giving what he had, that touched everybody's heart. And the social pressure of the small groups, that sort of touched everybody's heart. And the thankful prayer of Jesus, that kind of touched everybody's heart. So they reached back and out of their knapsack, they got a whole lot of food and uh, shared it. Well, I believe the former, not the latter. I believe in the supernatural 
work of Jesus, not only in that day with those people, but in every generation with a whole lot of people. Jesus is still doing the miracles that meet the needs that we have. Now, our need might not be uh, food. It might be something else. It might be peace and calm. It might be for our blood pressure to go down. It might be for this disease to leave us. It might be that we could be healed of this or that. It might be that a relationship would be healed. It might be that that God would do such a a miracle that uh, everybody in the whole neighborhood would know that only God could have done it. Well, I know it's hard for some people to believe like that. I know it's hard. Some people have logical, scientific, test tube type brains. You know, if you can't prove it using those those words, then they just don't believe. They just don't believe in it. They're not uh, people of faith. They cannot comprehend the miraculous. Did you hear about the couple that uh, seemingly were just so in love? They were about 65 years old. They'd been married for a long time. And, and everywhere they walked around together, they were holding hands. I mean, holding hands tightly. They were walking around together. And everybody saw this, of course, in the church. And, and people began to call them the sweetheart couple. Because they were always holding hands. Well, this young couple in the church, they were about 20. They got married, and they came back from the honeymoon, and they thought, you know, we need to go to that couple and find out why they love each other so much and why they hold hands all the time. They're so tender, so sweet. Uh, We want to know about that. So they went up, and they said, how long have you all been holding hands like that? And the man answered immediately. He said, well, uh, we've been holding hands a long time now because I found out that if we weren't holding hands, she'd go shopping. (laughs) Well, that's logical. (laughs) You know, that's uh, the kind of mindset that a lot of people have. They want to be logical all the time. They don't want to think about the supernatural. They don't want to think about anything like that. I've learned over the years that a lot of people uh, want a common sense approach to everything. Well, the miraculous doesn't fit into that. Uh, They do not want to rely on religious answers. Those aren't good enough for them. But who is it that believes in, in miracles today? I hope you do. I hope every person within the sound of my voice believes in miracles. Jesus wants to deliver us from all sorts of things today. You know, some folks uh, have a real problem with drugs. We need to be delivered from that. Well, God can do a miracle about that if you'll trust and believe in Him. Some of us might be greedy, and we need to have release from that. And to get over that, to have a miracle that would heal us of that. And some are so thoughtless. And some are so mean. And some are so filled with hatefulness. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm getting on up in years now. And I don't think I'm going to change now. I've been this way a long time. 
And so I'm really not going to change. Well, you know, Jesus specializes in changes. You know, if you present it to him and pray about it, uh, bow your head and your heart to him and ask him to help you and to work a miracle in your life, he will. He will. He absolutely will. Now, reading between the lines in our scripture today, the feeding of the 20,000, if you will, in some ways, it didn't really do all the things that Jesus wanted it to do. Neither the crowd nor the disciples got the message that Jesus wanted to convey to them. They just didn't get it. Well, as for the crowd... He hoped that uh, they would see what was going on up there and they would all be drawn much, much closer to God and then many of them would come to faith and many of them would become believers for the rest of their lives. Many of them who were the recipients of the miracle would join him in a very special way in a daily prayer thanking God for all the blessings that he had given. But, According to John's gospel of this same account, that isn't what happened. As soon as Jesus did that unbelievable miracle, guess what happened? The people began to say, this bread is multiplying. These fish are multiplying. Jesus is doing an unbelievable miracle right in front of us, right here, right in our lap. This food is multiplying. He must be the Messiah. And so they all jumped up and they ran to Jesus and they wanted to crown him king right then because they wanted someone to lead them in military battle against the Romans. So that was their final analysis of the whole thing. Let's make him king. Well, Jesus didn't want to be the king. And that wasn't the message that he wanted them to get. Well, guess what? The disciples didn't get the message that Jesus wanted them to have either. Uh, They uh, were the participants in this miracle. It would take a giant step toward God and toward believing that he was the coming Messiah That's what Jesus intended, that's what Jesus wanted, that the eyes of the disciples would be opened up, but that isn't what happened. Instead, one gets the impression that the disciples who were standing around by this time, they were critical of what was going on. They were standing there with these huge basketfuls of leftovers, and they were yelling out to Jesus, What do you want us to do with all this food? They didn't get it at all. They were majoring on the minors. They didn't get what the message was that Jesus wanted them to have. It's like sometimes a big Thanksgiving meal. You know, and the main thrust of the meal is to give thanks to God for life, for health, for family, for friends, for love for justice, for hope, for peace, for all these things. And people 
instead of that, they say, what are we going to do with all these leftovers? <laughs> Susie, you take that. John, you take that. You know, and that's how it all ends up. With an open show of disappointment, Jesus sends both groups away. He sends the disciples to the other side of the lake. And he sends all these people home. He said, it's time for y'all to go on home. God's miracles are always open to two questions of misunderstanding. What's next and so what? The what next group come from people of little faith who seek proof of religion in the spectacular. Of course, the spectacular each year has to be more spectacular or the people are disappointed. You got to beat what happened last year. Years ago, there was a church like that in Lakeland. And every year they would fill the newspapers and the radio and the television with ads about this miraculous thing that was going to happen. You know, one week it would be the world's oldest tenor uh, recorded all over the world he's going to sing. And the next month it would be the world's heaviest lady is going to be here. She weighs 943 pounds. And the next week, they'd have a big balloon that would take kids up in the balloon. And every month, it was the spectacular, you know. Well, you know, if people that follow the spectacular all the time, they're going to be disappointed. I guarantee you, because there's going to come a time when you can't top what you did last year. Then there's the so what group. Uh, That's the other question. The question arises out of the heart of believers that have been around the church, around the Lord for a long time, they take for granted what the Lord has done. And their attitude is, as they look at something or hear something or see something, they say, well, so what? You know, we've, we've known about that for a long time. So what? We know about that. We've done that. We've been there. The so what group. God sometimes lets us come to the end of our human understanding in order to get our attention. He really wants our attention. As long as we have a shred of hope in our strength or in our confidence, then guess what? We're going to depend upon that and kind of push God back a little bit. We are afraid to ask for miracles and to reach out to God. Many people are afraid to do that because they're afraid they'll fail. And they certainly don't want to have anybody hear them praying for a miracle and then it doesn't happen. They look like idiots. They say, well, you know, no, 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 no. Not going to do that. You know, if we are afraid of failure in life, then we will never succeed at anything. In its first year, Coca-Cola sold 400 Cokes. Did you know that? But they didn't quit. And now they're in every country in the world. In the first year of the automobile industry, Henry Ford 
tried real hard to build a car and to get his ideas for an assembly line in place, and it just didn't come about, and he went bankrupt. So he saved his money for two years, and he tried again. Guess what? He went bankrupt. But you know what? Today, I drive a Ford. I don't know how many of you do, but uh, they stayed with it. Even though the company had some failings, they stayed with it. Dr. Zeus' first children's book was rejected by 23 publishers. They said, that's stupid. We're not going to print that. Only a moron would read that stuff. The 24th publisher said, that's kind of quirky, but, uh, you know, maybe, you know, there's a lot of strange people out there. (laughs) Maybe somebody would like that. You know, maybe some folks would like it. They sold six million copies in the first two or three years. Six million. God wants us to go to the next level. He doesn't want us to be happy where we are. He wants us to be ever striving for the next step, to do the next thing that would honor the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what he wants. He wants to do miracles with us. He wants us to succeed in a miraculous, a miraculous way. Reach out to him. Pray for something that you could never do by yourself. Only with God's leadership and God's guidance could it come about. Pray for that. And guess what? The Lord will come and will help. And you'll be amazed. You know, it might be that you want to teach a class. You know, we've built a new building here. And that building sits empty most of the week. Why don't you think of uh, some group here in town that you could teach and you could start the meeting every day with a prayer, and through the course of the meeting, you could go around and talk to people and visit with people, and as they got to know you and love you, a lot of them that were secular at the first would trust in Christ and become believers. We've got a lot of rooms over there. It is my prayer. I'm praying for a miracle. I'm praying that we can fill that building up, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. I want to see us doing something, making that a learning center in a lot of different areas so that we can do the thing that is just miraculous with people in our area. You know, sometimes God takes a person and blesses in an unbelievable way. Years ago, I was a singles minister in a big church in Dallas, Texas. We had about 900 single adults. Uh, in the group, and it was a great, I mean, it was a going Jesse. We had about seven singles a week join the church, and most of them for salvation, and it was great, and and we all knew that a miracle was taking place because nothing like that had ever happened before, 900. Well, this guy started coming. I didn't know who he was, but I saw him, and After he'd been coming about three weeks, he made an appointment with me, and he came into my office and sat down and said, Ron, he said, I really like this group. I said, well, great. 
great. And I asked him about his faith, if he had trusted in Christ, and he said he had. And I said, well, uh, you know, just get involved. Get in a class, get involved. And he said, well, I'm recently divorced. He said, do you think it'd be okay if I did anything? I said, I sure do. I said, I think, I think the Lord forgives. Have you asked God to forgive you of that? Have you made some amends with some people that you needed to make amends with? He said, yes, I have. I said, well, then, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, you know, if you've uh, asked for forgiveness, you're forgiven. Well, he said, well, I can sing a little bit. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I've got a guitar and I can sing. I said, well, great. Could you sing next Sunday? And he said, okay. Well, he could really sing. I mean, he was terrific. And he came about two or three more months, and he came by to see me again. He said, Ron, I want to teach a class. He said, I know you have 13 classes, but I want to to teach a class. And I said, okay. I said, I'll find some people. And I went out and found about 10 people that... uh, were new, and I said, have you all settled in a class? And they said, no, and I said, well, go to Sam, Sam Dennis. He's a new guy. He wants to get a class together. Go and help him out. And they all said, well, we will. Well, time passed. At the very first day that he met with those 10 or 12 people, he asked me to come in there, and he said, Lord, give us a miracle. He said, Lord, help us to build this class. And he said some other things and said, amen, we all, you know, went about what we were doing. A year later, there was a hundred in Sam Dennis's class. A hundred. And it kept growing. It became the largest class in our singles ministry. Sam could relate very well to everybody. He'd been through a bunch of stuff. He'd been through depression, a divorce. He was poor. He'd gotten fired a couple times. I want to tell you the end of that story. It didn't didn't end there. Today in Dallas, Texas, Sam Dennis is pastor of a huge church in North Dallas. And I tell you what, now God reached out to that guy and worked a miracle in his life. In our text today, we see that Jesus not only feeds a multitude with a little, But we see him also rescue some people in a storm. They're in the middle of a storm. And Jesus does miracles with them. If he can do miracles with them, if he can do miracles with Sam Dennis, if he can do miracles with other people that you have known, he can do a miracle with you. With you. The desperate disciples uh, uh, needed a dramatic uh, event to save them from the storm that they were in. They were shocked wide awake by this storm that grew in intensity, got worse every minute. They needed uh, a supernatural event to save them. They realized they were just about to die. Jesus stepped out on the water and started walking toward their boat. He moved toward them. The disciples almost missed him because they were scared and they were holding on for dear life. They were paralyzed by fear. They were preoccupied. Uh, with survival and then one of the rowers happened to look over to the side 
and here was something walking on the water. And he yelled out to the others and said, look over there. And they looked over there, and they all said, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. But as he got closer, one of the guys with better eyesight said, it's, 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 it's G- 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 Jesus. He was so upset, he didn't know what. And so they all started screaming. You know, they all were yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And, of course, uh, our Lord went over and sat down uh, in the boat with them. Uh, He had a confident voice that went out over the water as he came toward them. He said, be of good cheer, in verse 50. It's I, do not be afraid. Jesus comes in the most desperate moments of our lives. And he says to us as plainly and clearly as he can, do not be afraid. I'm here for you. I'm with you. He tells us to look up, to see the reality of his presence, and to calm down. Of all the miracles, his presence with us is first and foremost. That's the main miracle. If we know that he is personally present with us in the middle of the storm of our lives, the stilling of the sea and the stopping of the winds, those are incidental. Those are not the most important things. Be of good cheer, he says. Do not be afraid. Verse 50. These are presumptuous words for anyone other than Jesus in the middle of a storm. Jesus says, look up, cheer up, calm down. Jesus has the power to back up his words with action. The disciples look up. The moonlight is bouncing off. A flat sea. The storm goes away. Jesus tells it to leave. And it leaves. Uh, In trying to explain the miracle, Mark can hardly contain himself. He enters into the feelings of the disciples so fully that he strains the limits of his vocabulary. Look at verse 51. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. I mean, Mark just can't say it. I mean, it's just so amazing, so wonderful. The man who walks on water is Jesus himself, and he has a word of cheer to bring. We need a word of cheer today. All that stuff that's going on in Turkey, all that stuff that's going on in all these different countries around our world, our world's coming apart. It is literally coming apart. We don't know what's going to happen next. In the middle of all of that, We need to have some cheer. Right in the middle of the storm, Jesus said, cheer up. Cheer up. You know, we we need to laugh some today. Laughing's good for you. In a world with a lot of storms, we need some joy. We need something every once in a while that's funny. Incidentally, do you know why Jesus made the Gentiles? Somebody had to buy retail. People are kind of getting that along. <laughs> well, Jesus got in the boat, and the boat landed, and the primitive communication network was set in motion. In no time, all of the whole region knew that Jesus was there, and they came in by the thousands. And the scripture says, the scripture says that every one that he touched was healed. 
everyone, even those that were blind, even those that were deaf, even those that were lame, even those that had broken relationships, even those that had this, had that, had leprosy, whatever. It says everyone he touched was healed. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to get real serious about the Lord. The Lord can work a miracle in your life. The Lord has a miracle for you. That's the title of my sermon today. The Lord has a miracle for you. He can multiply your blessings. That would be a miracle. He can multiply your blessings beyond your understanding. He can calm the storm in your life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You're thinking only Jesus could do it. Well, he wants to do it. If you've never professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, he wants to touch your heart. The miracle will be worked when he touches your heart. Your destiny in heaven will be assured. And you can be a part of the company of the committed. Well, today, folks, if there's anybody in the house that needs a miracle in your life, you've been trying and thinking and praying about becoming a believer, maybe today's the day. Maybe this is the day that the miracle will come in your heart and soul. We're going to give an invitation. Folks are going to have an opportunity to just walk up to the front, take a stand for Jesus. Those of you that are here that have been visiting with us for a period of time, you're a strong Christian person. We'd love to have you come and join our church, be a part of our family. Help us as we try and reach out to this world in ministry. We need your help. Please come and help us. I'll be standing down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just come. Let's stand and sing together.